And welcome back, and thank you for listening to the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. From Seattle to Tokyo and all points throughout history, this is the podcast that gives you a great background, not just on Japanese wrestling, but on wrestling that has happened all throughout time, because we have one of the best historians and journalists from Tokyo, Japan, Fumi Saido, with us. Good morning from Tokyo. Good morning. I'm Jim Valley. You may know me from The Torch. Also, I'm going to be starting, I want to let you know, I'm going to be starting doing the Cauliflower Alley podcast, Cauliflower Alley Radio, ah. which I think is going to be starting next week. So I'm really honored to be doing something with uh, the Cauliflower Alley Club. That's going to be really cool. Ah. Yeah. Very good. Now, mm-hmm. I'm no Fumi Saido, but I do okay. <laughs> hey, don't say that. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, why do, what do you want to start with? Do you want to talk about uh, Survivor Series this week? Okay, we will. This week, we will cover what? Survivor Series, a little bit of Chris Jericho. Yeah. Dick Meyer. Uh, the Tag League here. Tournament. Yeah, and then uh, the, you wanted to talk about the American wrestler, superstar wrestler, who didn't really translate or lost in translation star in Japan. Yeah, we want to talk about people who were, who, were, who were probably big stars. I think it was, we kind of got the conversation started uh, 10 years ago when I met you, <clears throat> and you mentioned Rick Steamboat, who, I don't know, I love Rick Steamboat, don't get me wrong, but I think, to be honest, the way some people rave about his career, I think he's a little overrated, which is not to say he's not great, it's just that everybody fawns over him so much. But anyway, you had a great theory about about Rick Steamboat, which we which we can get into. Do you want to do it now, or do you want to wait on that? Uh, well, now that we talked, let's do that. All right, so t- well, explain to I'm people. I'm not saying Rick Steamboat wasn't big, so he, he, he was a star here. Right. But he was not put in in a regular main event. You know why? Because he is a perfect American babyface, right? Babyface theory is you are always fighting against physically larger heels. See, babyface is supposed to be a little smaller than your typical heel. You talk about big heels here, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, you know, Abdullah Butcher, all these people. Steamboat is a perfect babyface in America, little bit of shorter, little shorter than um, your your opponent, and you are selling throughout the match. Then gives. Babyface comeback. And then uh, you you fight so hard and barely win it, right? Right. Yeah, that's what Fujinami does here. You know, people like Tatsumi Fujinami or even Antonio Inoki, you know his opponent larger, you know, under the giant heel heel under the giant, Hulk Hogan. Um, you know, Stan Hansen or Tiger Jeet Singh or you, you, you name it. Relatively always your heel gaijin, the Americans are larger in phys- you know, physical size. And uh, people are behind you because you are being underdog. That's babyface. I'm physically underdog. You know what I mean? But also, isn't it something about the way Rick Steamboat sells that he doesn't sells? he doesn't look strong um, enough for a Japanese audience? Isn't that right? Right, because 
you sell so much and uh, it just sort of appeals to audience emotion. Oh no, he's getting beat, he's getting beat, he's getting beat. But that's not what Americans do here. It doesn't really translate. If he was put in uh, baby face positions, actually there was a time, Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood against uh, Stan Hansen, uh, or uh, let's say uh, Brody and Snuka, or somebody like that. Then he'll be doing exactly what he does in America, and it worked. But when he, when Steamboat had a single match against people like Tenru, or physical, physically much larger Jumbo Tsuruta, that doesn't really work. You know what I'm saying? Jumbo Tsuruta, local babyface, is much larger and come off much stronger. It, it worked against Jumbo too, you know, just also, because that's not what Jumbo Tsuruta should be doing either. So it was very hard. Same as Mil Mascaris, you have to have right opponent. Yeah? So what about we? You mentioned as we were we we're starting the podcast. What about I think it was eighty five when yeah, uh, Jerry you, Lawler. You wanted to talk about just because somebody posted yeah. a very good videotape on Facebook or some or off of YouTube, I think. Yeah, Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Valiant toured together. Yeah, and it was very good Jan Baba method. See that that tour that eighty five tour. The, the to big Tokyo uh, gymnasium show, Jerry Lauder and Jimmy Valiant worked. That was the night. The main event was Jumbo Tsuruta, Tenru as a tag team going against Riki Choshu and Masa Saito, Japanese heels, main event. And the, the double main event was uh, getting older, Giant Baba against Taigajit Singh. You have two headlines, okay? And Baba was the kind of promoter that Jerry Lauder and Jimmy Valiant were brought in as a additional attraction. Attraction. So it was not their, you know, all Japan core storyline. Jerry Lauder and Jimmy Valiant, they were treated as a guest superstar from America. And who did they work against? People like Great Kabuki, Takashi Ishikawa, the very seasoned veterans who can work American style. So Giant Baba would treat people like Jerry Lauder and Jimmy Valiant, and they make them work their American style match, things they always do over, over at home. So it was good additional attraction for the audience, but so this is always you know, treated as a guest, you know what I'm saying? Somebody people don't see normally. So Jerry Lala come, you know, come in with his Tennessee gear, his all kinds of print and things and you know, crown and all, thing, all kinds of things on, on, on his trunks. Jimmy Valiant does his boogie dance and so those are the things that Japanese audience don't normally get to see, so it was okay, but additional attraction. How does the uh, 
Japanese wrestling fan, but how did they respond to them? I mean, they're not, neither of them are particularly technical. Uh, you know, a lot uh, of, they a were lot of doing, punching and kicking, uh, a lot of punching yes, and yes, that's what, Yes, that's what they did. And the important is they went over against people, like I said, great Kabuki and other, you know, very seasoned veterans that they were there to put them over. Well, and so also, he was okay, Kabuki though. had wrestled Memphis. He'd been in Memphis many times. Oh, oh all the territories, Kansas, yeah. Dallas, you know, all kinds. So he knew what to do. And uh, if you don't use Jerry Lala that way, what's the point of bringing him in? See, later on, later on, like uh, probably like five years after that, Jerry Lala was brought in as a unified champion. You know, when Tennessee and Dallas combined and became, you know, Dallas USWN and they were having program, Jerry Lawler against Kerry Von Erich. Lawler was brought in as unified champion to New Japan and had a unified title match against Fujinami. So it was not really Fujinami match. It wasn't really Lawler match. But they did it anyways. But... Uh, I think all Japan, Giant Baba used Jerry Lada much wisely, and rightfully so. It looks like Jerry Lada match. People liked it, you know, but additional attraction. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So you're saying that it wasn't incumbent on him to be the draw, and it wasn't incumbent on him to uh, carry the show from a from a work perspective, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the Jerry Lawler was brought in and be treated as Jerry the King Lawler, and he worked Tennessee-style match for one week. And that's the only way it worked, though, you know? The, so it, it was okay, because I was there at the building, and I thought people liked it, because that was a style that the people are not used to you know, watch and uh, oh, that that was interesting. Did you see his costume? Oh, that was great. You know, but that was that. Do you think over time people would have seen through it? Um, he wouldn't be touring. You know, like other regular Americans. Like you know, he wouldn't come over three times a year or anything like that. You know, and he also was famous that uh, he always have to bring his wife with him. This is more like a tour, sightseeing tour. So you have you, know, you stay here for one week and you have five matches or something, but give you enough dates that he and his wife, wife at the time, I think, yeah. um, can have sightseeing. So do you recall anybody coming over, American stars, uh, you know, maybe sort that of in the... That didn't work? Yeah, that didn't work? Lex Luger. Lex Luger. What happened with Luger? Well, Luger wouldn't, well, he probably wouldn't study, right? He just show up like another night in WCW. See, there was a Tokyo Dome show. I can't remember it was 90 or 91 that uh, the Tokyo Dome show called uh, Starcade in Tokyo Dome, you know? Or he, he was here a couple, three times. 
that uh, he was never brought in as an, a whole tour. You know, like when you have three or four weeks tour going with 30 shows, uh, he was never that. Luger was always brought in for like one or two shows, you know, during that like the last one week of the tour and have just two matches or something. And uh, very protected. But he, I don't think he is the type that uh, would sit down and think, we're in Japan, I'm in Japan, so this is how I should do, or, you know, none of that. He would just show up just like another night in WCW, you know, and uh, wanted to just do what he does. And uh, when you have Luger match in Japan, you know what I mean. Well, yeah, I think he wrestled. I, I wanted, was it Chono that Chono, he wrestled? Chono, yeah. yeah. Chono, still, they still fit him perfect opponent, you know, who can work American style, heel or babyface. But uh, Luger just does what he does. And probably, maybe, just maybe, if they did Ric Flair against, uh, Ric Flair against Lex Luger in Japan, and have the exact same match he has in, say, Virginia or something, you know, Atlanta or something, now somewhere that uh, people might have thought this is a good match, you know. But uh, if Luger was to, you know, be brought in one, one or two matches and just work against Chono, single match, he Necess- don't necessarily have this like a thinking effort, you know, that could add more to his match. Uh, he just wouldn't do it, you know. He just come out and do what Lex Luger would do, and uh, he probably didn't get over. He still didn't. Why? Does that make sense? Yeah. Anybody else come to mind? Hmm. I mean, we talk about Steamboard. Jerry Lawler, J- uh, Jimmy Valiant with him, uh, Lex Luger, right? Yeah. There are qu- quite a few that, uh, you know, people you read in magazine, those American pages, you know, that, uh, you know, look, you know, read through magazine and think you're their star, right? They want to see them in Japan. And when they came over, it, they were somewhat disappointing. That's what you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's kind of surprising, but people like Kerry Von Eric, Kevin Von Eric, they got over though in Japan because they were very, very exciting guys, and they were type of babyface he hates to sell. How's that? Yeah, right. Yeah, so they so they come off very aggressive, you know, barefooted Kevin Von Eric fights so hard that uh, in America or American audience or American co-workers, Kevin Van Der can be somewhat selfish, right? But it works I mean, in Selfish Japan. working. Oh, God, he looks like, like a real aggressive American guy. He fights so hard. Like relatively small, but great muscle and doesn't sell. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, surprising, but Kevin Van Erich, Kerry Van Erich, uh, they always had good match in Japan. So some work, some don't work. 
Well, there's also some people who, uh, who vice versa, who weren't necessarily big stars here in America. But, but yeah, like for like um, um, Patriot. The Patriot comes to mind. The Wilkes, Joel Deaton. Joel Deaton comes. Yeah, let's talk about Joel Deaton. Yeah, and he was just kind of a Georgia there. undercard guy and did a few undercard things in uh, WCW, but but he had a good career in Japan. Yeah, and also he was willing to do back and forth, back and forth. You know, Baba, once Jan Baba likes somebody, he wants to book you. Okay, can you come back next door? Kind of thing, right? And some for some Americans, though, it's like, oh, that's way too soon. Or something like that, you know? Or like, for some American wrestlers, going to Japan, Japan tour is like once in a lifetime experience or something. It's like, oh, I didn't think I'd come back, right? But uh, when Japanese promoter likes you, they want to bring you back pretty much right away. And uh, Joe Deaton said, okay, well, use me regularly, right? And it was just very... You know, he was a very good worker, though. And also, over here, you don't necessarily have to be handsome, good-looking guy. Or Does have that make the, sense? Yeah, or have the most cut physique. Oh, that too. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, Dick Murdoch? Yeah. Yeah, Dick Murdoch. Very big. Oh, huge star in Japan, 70s and 80s. Yeah. Yeah. He was a big star here, um, too. Um, yeah, yeah. And by the way, for the for the purposes of our conversation, because of the <laughs> way a... things work these days, I don't think, in my mind, Kenny Omega doesn't count for this conversation mm. because it's like in the other in the territorial days, you could go to different places and you could get over. Whereas here, you know, you're kind mm -hmm. of at the mercy of like just a handful of people. So I'm not sure that that right. necessarily is, oh, is applicable. no territory whatsoever. Yeah. Just big, huge media company. What about uh, Don, yeah. what about Doug Furness? Oh, Doug Furness. I think Doug Furness could be a big star in America. It's just that he was never uh, to be involved politically. You know, uh, he did, that was a part that he didn't want to deal with. See, um, he learned business from Kevin Sullivan. He worked Tennessee, Knoxville a little bit, and here and there a teeny bit. But he never really worked territories in America. And he was brought in by Dory Funk Jr. And people liked him right away. And Baba pretty much signed him right away. And it was Doug Furness's very first real, you know, like a full-time job. He was having nine tours, eight tours a year for about a 10-year period. So it's like he never wanted to work America. Just go home and have two or three weeks off and off to another Japan tour, you know, just uh, back to back to back to back. That was happy, you know, happy time for him. And he never had to worry about pay or uh, have to deal with promoter. Jan Baba would pay you exactly what he said he was going to pay you. And he didn't even open envelope. Uh, you know, this see, over here is kind of uh, giant Baba was old fashioned that uh, it was not a paycheck, it was cash in envelope. And they pay you the very last day of the tour. There's a small room that uh, you were supposed to go in and shut the door and sit down with giant Baba 
and say, how was your tour? Happy, sir. And this is the little conversation. Okay, here, right? Then hand envelope, hand envelope with money. Then you sign receipt. That was just that. And the, the Jan Papa etiquette number one, you don't open that envelope in front of him. Very rude to him. Is that interesting or what? I can see that. I can I can see that through the culture. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like you trust. They trust you. You trust him, right? Then, the, you don't open that envelope and how many bills are there. You don't just just don't do that. But you are never taught. So Stan Hansen doesn't you know teach you that. You know, so it, it was the little unwritten rule that you just have to learn on your own. But uh, for some reason, you know, people like Doug Furness, the Phil Lafarne as Danny uh, Crawford, Johnny Smith, the Patriot, or even people like Jungle Jim Steele, they work here, you know, and uh, Baba liked you, and uh, they were willing to do as many tours. So sometimes when you work in Japan, you have to give up American dates. You know what I'm saying? Because Japanese promoter wants you when they want you. Say so you don't want to say, oh, I'm all booked through next month or something like that, you know? What about Johnny Ace? Now, obviously, you I'm sure you know that, you know, he because yeah. he, he, he was management uh, for both WCW, yeah, yeah. WWE. You know, when you're management, mm-hmm. you're not particularly well liked. That just comes with being management. There is a perception, and, and this is what I want to ask about the perception. There's yeah. a perception there that he got his spot in Japan and kept his spot in Japan because Mrs. Baba liked him. How much do you think was just being liked True. by All Japan Management, and how much do you uh, think he got yeah, over the, on his own? That, that aspect is way, way more focused in America that that the Johnny Ace deserved a lot more credit as a wrestler, though, because if you are not good enough in ring, they wouldn't bring you back. So he was good enough as a wrestler. Paul good-looking blonde guy yes but he was able to have tag team match uh, or even single match against people like Jumbo before he got sick okay Misawa Kobashi Kawada you know those people you know Mitsuharu Misawa Kenta Kobashi um, Toshi you know Kawada and even Taue or Giant Baba or other cool American workers like Stan Hansen, Danny Spivey, Terry Goldie, you are having match against these people night after night, night after night, night after night. You have to be actually good in the ring, or at least good enough to be in the ring with them to have good match. So his political aspect is way more focused in that. Yes, he's very political, very political, but you still have to admit that he was good enough to be in the ring with these people night after night. So I'm going to defend him a little bit. I'm not saying he's not political. He's very political because Stan Hansen and Johnny Ace are the only two who can knock Baba's private dressing room, knock, knock. He goes in and sit down and talk to him. None other Americans do. Interesting. 
Yeah, that is that is uh, that is interesting. Or even between then there was a tension between Stan Hansen and Johnny Ace that see a minute after minute after Johnny Ace walk out of Baba's you know private dressing and come back to American dressing and Stan Hansen reading newspaper with thick glasses look up and say what was that about you ask him you know what I mean so there was a little tension that the, what was that about so Stan wants to know you know but uh, it was interesting but for some reason I don't know how they did it yes it's true that Mrs. Baba liked him because Johnny is always friendly and he's a handsome young guy tall blonde hair guy and people like him and you like American critics or including people like you you know the Johnny is got his job because office liked him yes office liked him but you have to know that he is still good enough to be in the ring night after night with people like Stan Hansen, Terry Gordy, Misawa, Kobashi, all those people, and carry decent match all through, I mean, all year long. Yeah. So uh, his um, his ability in the ring is, that part is overlooked, you know. And there was one time that uh, Misawa against Johnny S., Budokan main event, Triple Crown, that only happened once. See, it's really hard to have title match program to make it hard for you, you know? That uh, it seemed like Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, and all the same, Stan Hens and Gori, all the same people are always having title match program, but you are always watched by Giant Baba. He watches everybody's match. All old promoter, you know, from the back door, he opens the door a little bit, he actually watches everybody's match. So it's just no fooling. I feel like we've just scratched the surface on this. I'm sure there's people that uh, we haven't touched on. This will probably be a full episode. Well, but... you can talk about a Japanese company and how they do business every week. You yeah, know, we, we can. can. Go, so, go on and on. Yes. What I was going to say, if people have ideas about uh, you know people who may have got lost in translation, we'll call it, uh, they can tweet at you at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, or at me, Jim Valley, and uh, we can talk about this again if people have other suggestions for other stars who uh, may have been lost in translation either either in uh, North America or in Japan we can talk about that but we should uh, we should move yeah, on I, uh, yeah I, I, I didn't mention Steve Williams oh, yeah. Steve Steve Williams, Williams. Yeah. yeah 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 and also Steve Williams is another you know, wrestler that he didn't see when, when what he did in WWE they didn't have any idea how to use it yeah yeah and uh, Japan was a place he actually got over, right? That he was a star here because he is not American psychology wrestler. He wrestles and just real aggressive. And probably for American standard, he's a wrestler with no psychology, right? But there is such thing as Japanese wrestling psychology. You be aggressive and uh, you don't oversell. And you don't do the pantomime that much. Yeah, very realistic match you're supposed to have. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Like I said, uh, follow Fumi at Fumihiko Dio. Follow me at Jim Valley, and we can talk about this again, because I think All right, there are probably a lot it. more examples. All right, why don't we talk about... <laughs> Yeah. Um, why don't we, you want to do the, uh, did you want to talk about this year's Survivor Series? Is that, is that what you want to talk oh, about? Oh, because I, um, I do the voiceover and then the last night was the go home show, Raw. Right. For, yeah, Survivor Series and, uh, I want to know how people think about this, uh, Kurt Angle, Stephanie, and, uh, the, the Jason Jordan and, uh, Triple H comes in, and if you're not, if you're not, not gonna uh, announce who's the uh, fifth member of Raw, Team Raw, I am. And then, and then he turns around and kicks Jason, Jason Jordan and give pedigree. Does that make him heel or babyface? I guess we're gonna have to find out, won't we? <laughs> well, it's gonna be. I think he's still leading up to the storyline. After Survivor Series, yeah. because Cart Angle G, you know, general manager, would come off babyface, and Jason Jordan come off like a victim of circumstances, and the management conflict between commissioner and general manager would be a big storyline. That the uh, SmackDown commissioner Shane McMahon, SmackDown general manager Daniel Bryan they don't necessarily agree with each other, right? So there's going to be a storyline because Survivor Series is climaxing, but uh, Team Raw against Team SmackDown will end at, at Survivor Series. They still have to go back to your SmackDown show. They still have to go back to regular Monday Night Raw show after that. They have to have their own storyline going too. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think it certainly looks like we're building toward Kurt Angle, Triple H at WrestleMania. But as far as, like you said, who's the baby face and who's going to be the heel maybe is a little bit to be determined. I mean, I guess Kurt Angle's the baby face right now. And baby face, yeah. Yeah, he's also a victim of management and authority figure. Yeah. I, I wonder what about they're going to do about Jason Jordan because it seems like this thing being Kurt Angle's son is sort of sort of flop, so maybe they need to get him away from Kurt Angle and make him a heel as well. I don't know. But if if you if you get him away from Kurt Angle, it kills the whole purpose of making him a star. If you can do a Bret Hart, Bret Hart against Owen Hart thing, like Kurt, Kurt Angle against Jason Jordan as yeah. a heel, that would make that would elevate Jason Jordan, I think. I could see year. Jason Jordan interfering and costing the Raw team maybe the match. I could see Triple H walking out and maybe costing the Raw team. I don't know. You could probably Jason Something Jordan. You can do a lot. Yeah. Because yeah. this, yeah, is this is the whole the purpose is making Jason Jordan genuinely talented guy, but no color or people don't really buy it, you know. But uh, Jason Jordan is genuinely talented wrestler. So to make him star, you're going to design a, a storyline for him or revolving him. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be interesting. But Triple H did come off like a big heel, like like really power monger guy, you know? Well, he works better as heel anyhow. Yeah, and I think he likes her better too. 
Yeah, yeah, and he comes off like a bully, you know. And and General maybe yeah. and maybe yeah. Kurt Angle is really about the only guy that he could face where the fans might actually boo him too. I mean, I think because he's been around for so long, he's kind of one of those established stars that are hard to boo. You reach a level. Oh yeah, because he's a superstar. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe against Kurt Angle, he could actually get some heel heat. Yeah, and how many more matches? Kurt Angle actually has in him. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be each tag team match, fine, but each single match Kurt Angle have would be has to be very important and special. He can probably have two more matches, you know? Yeah. How many matches he has in him? And it's going to be a WrestleMania. You know it's going to be a WrestleMania, so. Right. But the authority and political story always worked in WWE. So the commissioner and general manager thing is perfect. General manager has some power, but commissioner, McMahon family always come in and, and overrule things or something like that, right? Always. Always. But that's, that's another, well, we, we all watch in you know, weeks to months to come. Yeah, this could be, this could be fun. Yeah, I think it's a great show now. Yeah. Yeah, it's really yeah, ramping up. It's people, nice. yeah, because yeah, because people think about they talk about Raw and SmackDown and think it used to be so you know so much fun and, and they don't even watch it because it's not that good. I think if you watch it every week, it's just as good still. You know what's been going on with me is uh, yeah. my wife was sick, and so I was kind of hiding out in the house from her to stay away, so I didn't get it, and luckily I didn't. But one of the things I was doing was I started binge-watching Raw on the network. <laughs> okay. okay. Okay? And so I watched, like, yeah. the early Raws from, like, 93 up to 95, you know, when it was still, you know, a little hokey. You know, I they had you... some of the characters oh. and stuff. You know, they had Bastion Booger and and mm. uh, the, the Garbage Man. Um, I can't mm-hmm. think of his name mm-hmm. now. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and I remember, you know, because I was, you know, probably 20 or what, young 20s at the time, and... I remember being frustrated with the product because it was still so kid oriented. But now as I watch yeah. it and now as I watch it back without sort of that angst and, you know, wanting some other product, it's actually a very enjoyable and easy to digest and easy to watch our show where everything has a purpose. There's usually uh. like one big angle and it's really a much better show than I probably gave it credit for back when I was a fan watching it for the first time. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the point you're making about about uh, the current product is it's probably better than a lot of people give it credit for, which is not to say it's the greatest right, thing ever, but it's probably watch better. People watch it so long and you they become so critical on everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but or you uh, want something, the, you're craving something that you're not getting and so you judge it through that lens. Expect so much. Yeah. 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 And also what the people they call WWE universe, they always gain new audience. Yeah. You know, these are these are the people who's been following wrestling say less than three years. You know? So sometimes what you're watching, what what I'm watching and what they're watching are two different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, I said Garbage Man was a Duke Drosy. Duke you the Dumpster Drosy. Yeah, <laughs> I could only think of his Florida name, uh, Rocco Gibraltar. For some reason, I couldn't think of Duke. Drosie. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, Mo and Mabel and yeah. yeah. 
men on a mission mm-hmm. and the undertaker wearing purple mm-hmm. and and all yeah. that stuff yeah and diesel just a bodyguard razor ramon you know there's a lot of stuff there that i had all the guys whose mullet hairdo yes yeah lots of lots of <laughs> sean michael's mullet was ridiculous um you know yeah. we'll, we'll have to do a show on uh on uh, him mullets? Well, mullets, we could do that, but I was thinking we should... I had mullets myself, so... I, so did I. I remember that era. I was really <laughs> jealous because Scott Steiner had a sweet mullet. I was like, look at that. That's the best mullet of all time. <laughs> long, lo- real long in back. Yeah. Nice uh, shaved yeah. on the sides for Scott Steiner. He looked he looked good. Um, yeah. Speaking yeah, of that, yeah, I want to talk about the kind of tie everything together with Survivor Series and that yeah. era. Uh, Survivor Series 1995, you know, they're building yeah. Alundra Blaze in that era from uh, 94, 95, right in there. All Japan women. And yeah. the All Japan women appeared on... Uh, Was brought in. Yeah, what do, you, what do you know about that time? Well, it was Alundra Blaze Medusa production, you know, convinced office to bring in Japanese wrestlers, girls over and have a match, but they didn't give enough time. And also probably they should have had one day to practice, you know, that they were all rushed. See, when you have five against five Survivor Series elimination match, you have nine finishes, right? Normally. Yeah. Yeah, But they were doing that in 10 minutes. You know, so everything's rushed. And uh, if they used Aja Kong, like Aja Kong, you know, should be used, uh, she, she, she should have you know, gotten over. And there was a plan to bring in Aja Kong for Royal, following Royal Rumble, single match against Aja. I mean, I mean, Alondra Blaze. There was a plan. But at the time, Alondra Blaze was leaving too, you know, to... WCW and it didn't work, you know. But uh, there was a plan to bring in Aja Kong as a single opponent of Alundra Blaze the following Royal Rumble. It never happened. Did uh, you ever get reaction from uh, any of the women, just generally speaking, about what it was like wrestling for the WWE yes, in that period? I did speak to them when they came back. That was partially their fault, too, because they didn't study what WWF was. You know, it was a tour that they were brought in for one show, and they were told it's a big show. Yeah, it looks like a big show, you know, Survivor Series. But if they did more homework of what Survivor Series is or what WWF at the time was to the people or how big of a company and what it means to be on national stage, and have meaningful match. They were somewhat casual about it too, you know, because they were there for what four days, five days, and had one match. And the actual match with all those five girls were all ten minutes all together. Waited all day long to have that match. And uh, when you go out there, only ten minutes were was given, you know. And then everything was rushed. And also during the match, they were told, I mean, right before the match, they were told, we're cutting you short a little bit because we are pushing, you know, because other matches being long, you know. So they had to cut up a few, few spots and go right to finish. And uh, this is impossible to, you know, for them to get over. 
you know, back in that era, you know, Shawn Michaels, I guess, was still ascending and he was having, you know, better matches. And I think work rate finally started to really sincerely matter in WWE. Mm -hmm. It was kind of the genesis of what we see today. But was there any was there any reaction from uh, anybody on the show that said, uh, wow, this is a much uh, different style than than we wrestle in Japan? Was there a reaction to the to the comparison? All the Japanese Japanese women wrestlers. Yeah, it was all new to them because um, Japanese women wrestler in general they only follow women's wrestlers. See, uh, it's kind of surprising, but they didn't even watch WWE product. Then went there. So they didn't come back with any impressions other than other than the match. Yeah, because the well, that was partially their fault. Like I said, yeah. they should have done more homework on who you were working for beforehand and what it meant. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It, it goes to another subject that you and I were going to talk about. See, major league company people don't necessarily follow other companies' wrestler or wrestling. See. Um, Chris Jericho working Tokyo Dome show, right? Yes. And uh, New Japan staff or executives and producers, wrestlers are different, but the New Japan company people don't, they don't really follow WWE that closely. Now that's surprising to hear considering I guess worldwide New Japan would be considered the number two company in the closest thing WWE yeah, has but, competition. Uh, I don't think WWE people necessarily follow New Japan wrestling either. Well, yeah. But they Vince historically doesn't it. do that. Right, but they don't yeah, they hear about it, but they don't see I don't think Vince McMahon will sit down and watch New Japan tapes. No, I don't think so. So New Japan people didn't really, you know, understand how big of a deal. Well, they do. They do, but in a way they don't. Because um, the WWE superstars are exclusive to WWE. So what Chris Jericho is doing is very special. He is in a very unique position where he can speak to WWE or Vince McMahon directly hey, I'm working Japan date, and it's going to be good for you, too. It's like he's in a position where you can convince WWE executives that what he's doing is a very special one-shot deal, and it's going to make WWE special in Japan, too, by him doing so, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's not like he's going to work dates with ROH or anything, I don't think, but uh, making special appearance with Japanese company is something not too many people can do, but Chris Jericho can pull this off. If you remember Hulk Hogan, 93, I believe, between WWE and WC, jumping to WWE, WCW, the, that was right after WrestleMania 9 where he beat Yokozuna nine seconds and get the title back, right? Yep. Then he actually brought the physical WWF belt to New Japan ring. Didn't defend it, but he worked New Japan date. 
Didn't he call the uh, belt a toy at that point and said that the IWGP was the real world title? Means a lot more. Yeah, so that was the Japanese interview. And also, he, I'm sure he expected that all goes back to America and people talk about it. It happened. You know, what he really meant or he meant that or not is not, you know, it's not important. People hear about it and talk about it was his purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Was that an interview we did with he, you? Did he do, was it an interview with no, you? Masa, Masa Saito. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, because he, uh, he was at the Hukoka Dome or something, and Masa was becoming uh, your color commentator with suit. So he, Masa wanted to do American-style interview, you know, at the time. And how Colvin and Masa Saito were good friends. Yeah, because they were friends in Florida. They were friends in AWA. And, uh, yeah. So... So getting back to this topic, you're saying that uh, the New Japan people um, don't necessarily follow. So are you implying that <laughs> that uh, you know, aside from Kenny Omega and some of the uh, the particulars involved, probably uh, Ghetto and everything, but maybe mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. some of the people who are uh, in the office don't necessarily understand oh, no, no, what no, they Gedo. have in their hands? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, the book of Ghetto, Jado Ghetto, they follow everything very closely. Yes. Yeah, Jado Gedo watch every single WWE show and knows every single storyline and every single superstars. They're different. And uh, Gedo is the one who's orchestrating all things, you know. And uh, this, to make this thing very special, very special, Chris Jericho will be treated like a larger-than-life superstar even larger than life than, than, than uh, he actually is or whatever. That uh, so, Chris Jericho coming to New Japan is a real huge deal. Is that what, That's what they're saying. So are yeah. you saying that maybe people, not necessarily in the, the wrestling side, the operation side, but maybe people who are uh, in the upper office of the, uh, the company don't necessarily understand what right, they have right. on their hands. But okay. they're not really, but those are people not really involved in the creative process either. Right. Creative process, Jado Gedo, right? So if they knew what they're doing, this is going to work. And I think it's going to work because they're making it a real huge deal. All right. Now you're talking me into coming to Japan Jericho. now. Yeah, because Chris Jericho of 2017 is different from Chris, you know, Chris Jericho from 90s. And hardcore fans know that he, that Chris Jericho used to be in Japan so much when he was younger, a long blonde hair, real pretty-looking, young, superstar-looking guy. And he went back to uh, America and ECW, WCW, then WWE, and then became your Y2J. And he had to, so everybody followed that. And now that uh, it's more like he's coming home as larger-than-life superstar. 47-year-old, short hair, little bit of beard, um, you know, Chris Jericho as a veteran. So it's, 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 it's more of a um, Blade Runner 2049 or something, you know? So and, now that uh, they have this information, and I wonder where they got it, uh, when, now that they have this information, uh, what yeah. do you think they're going to be doing? Will we see, like, a change in the marketing? Will we see a change in the promotion, in, in advertising? What are, what are we talking about here? 
Chris Jericho? Yeah. Well, well, Chris Jericho, I think you have to, you know, this case, you have to be treated like a very isolated case. Because New Japan and WWE are not about to start business. No. Chris Jericho individually handled this business on his own in one-shot deal. It's a one-shot deal, so because it's one-shot deal, it's a big deal. So it's, it's not like WWE Superstar coming to New Japan or New Japan start going to you know, WWE or anything. See, Shinsuke Nakamura actually quit New Japan and signed with WWE. He on his own. Seriously. So he's not about coming. You, know, you see, a lot of American people, well, that goes to you too, that the Shinsuke Nakamura will someday come back to Japan to work. I just don't buy that. That his wrestling career in Japan is over. Just like Ichiro, you know, the baseball player, he did everything and and just you know he did everything he could do in Japanese market, and that he feels that, that there's nothing more to do here. Then that was time for me to go to, you know, for him to go to bigger and better place. Bigger, and, I mean, for him, you know, different stage. So let's uh, talk about what else is going on right now. The uh, the tag league tournament. Well, I mean, did it make any sense though for you Nakamura's case? You no, know, I think we we've we've discussed Nakamura. I think it's I think it's very interesting that that he's done done. Um, I mean, he's not going to come back anytime yeah. soon or anything. Yeah. So that was, this is, he choose different path. But I know, so, like I said. I was going to say, like, uh, if you remember uh, Jonathan Livingstone Siegel. <laughs> wow, that takes me back. There's a moment I haven't heard of <laughs> since I was, like, in grade school. Okay. Kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but somebody who is so talented and is so driven and who's almost so spiritual that you have to leave the flock all by yourself and search for better and better things or better and bigger things for your own soul searching. Wasn't that the story, though? That is the story. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Livingston Siegel was the perfect example. See, Ken Shamrock was like that, too. See, he was a wrestler, you know, not famous, not that good, you know. But uh, he, you know, after he debuted in America, he went back to Malenko Wrestling School in Florida, and he trained differently by Masami Soranaka and Malenko Brothers, and he was sent to UWF, you know, in the early 90s. It's just the birth of work shoot, you know what I'm saying? People believed that... The, UWF is going to make professional wrestling a real sport. Most people bought it then. Then Ken Shamrock was the only American, not the only, but the, one of the very few Americans who could adapt that style. And he did very well among Japanese wrestlers. He just kicks, submission, suplexes, works seriously. Then at the end, he turned out to be a UFC guy. It's, that was very exciting path to choose. So he was he was another Jonathan Livingston Seagull type. 
So let's. But that's uh, another subject for another day. It know? is another. Uh, it's a great subject. Though. We we've got a bunch of we we've this show could go on forever. We've got so many top not this particular <laughs> show. But the, yeah. The podcast well, we have to cover series. Dick Byer though. We have Dick Byer. But you want to talk about the tag league real quick? Tag league, uh, Japanese traditional tag team league. Yeah, it's going. Uh, it's coming soon. That. Uh, the the very first actually very first tag team tradition started like around 1970 you know japan progressing when inoki and baba were still together and then uh, they brought in a bunch of tag team then uh, they crowned a tournament winner not necessarily tag team champions they had tag team belts but uh, it was uh, another t- spring you have traditionally single tournament in spring and fall you have tag team tournament in the Japanese calendar. Yeah. And the real tag team tournament of all Japan, it's not the same as all, you know, Jan Baba's all Japan, but all Japan pro wrestling still exists and operated by different people. But the book, you know, Akiyama still runs it and still have this essence of all, you know, all, all Japan pro wrestling. And this is like a 45th annual tag team tournament. And the longest, you know, lasting, you know, still going tag team tournament in business, I think. So the New Japan World Tag League, um, one of the things yeah. that I think is that I think is got some people's attention is, yeah. you know, there there seems to be relatively a lot of parody. It's kind of I think it's a bit of a challenge this year to look and go, OK, who's who's going to win this year? I think the only one you can pretty much rule out is probably the, the champions, the killer elite squad. But other than that, it's like, you could see a lot of different teams winning this, I think. Yeah, I guess so. Unpredictable thing. Yeah. Uh, we could go back to history that the, uh, Jan Baba's old Japan, Inoki's new Japan, both had tag team tournament. Yeah. So, so they are, they are competing with each other in concept. You know, most fans watch both shows, though, and two different tag team tournaments going. So what you're competing is the content, right? I think all Japan tag team tournament is better than some. Some people say, yeah, I, I think New Japan's tag team tournament is better. What makes better tournament, though? predictability or star power or unpredictability or um, I guess it depends on what you're looking for but uh, probably you think New Japan's tournament is more exciting than all Japan's tag team tournament? Well, I mean, I'm more familiar, obviously, with the names and the names. Right, with names, right. Yeah. All Japan tag teams are all Japanese, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, more because uh, you have more American talent with New Japan. Well, yes. that and also probably, you know, the winner's going to probably face the champs at Wrestle Kingdom, which is the big card of the year. So <laughs> right, I think right. there's probably, you know, more prestige and, uh, you know, it's more high profile. There's a bigger platform, I think, for mm, the, for yeah, the New oh, Japan oh, Tag League. For right now, but oh, I mean, yeah. as we've talked about on the show, all Japan seems to be getting some momentum, so good for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people, like you, if you're familiar, you know, if you're looking for familiar, familiar name, all Japan now they have t- people like Tajiri, Ultimo Dragon as regular. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but uh, you have to learn about guys like Zeus, guys like Shuji Ishikawa, the 
you know, you gotta look at Kento Miyahara as a, as their star. And Kento Miyahara is, is his his partner for this tag team tournament is none other than Yoshitatsu. So they have some familiar faces there, though. Yeah. Yeah. I thought actually I did think that was kind of an interesting choice, Yoshitatsu and Miyahara. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and they just they just had a triple crown title match just last week. Um, Joe Dorin uh, defending triple crown title against Yoshitatsu, and he beat Yoshitatsu clean ten minutes, ten minutes. You know, but it was a good match because it established where they are. See, Yoshitatsu could be famous. But he's still new with company, and this is where he is. So, see, they never really announced the rankings, right? Like boxing, but uh, that's why wrestling fans have to come up with their own rankings. You know, like who is on the top, who is second, who is third, fourth, fifth. You have that in wrestling fans' head. So, hey, I wanted to it's get good a, to play with. I did have. A, I didn't want to get too deep into the tournament, but I did want to talk about um, with the new Japan Tag League. Uh, yeah, a yeah. couple of interesting choices. For example, uh, Chuck Taylor is coming okay. in for the new Japan. He's going to be tagging with Trent Beretta, and I thought that was kind of an interesting choice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, uh, you know, I know that he's been doing some stuff with Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Another interesting thing. I thought that um, Jeff Cobb is coming to to uh, to the. He's going to be teaming with Michael Elgin, and um, that makes okay. sense, I guess, because they're both kind of built the same. And mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. Michael doesn't have as much hair as Jeff does, and Jeff has, you know, certainly very legitimate wrestling credentials. Um, similar built. Yeah, definitely similar build, though. What do you What do you think about uh, Jeff Cobb in Japan consistently? He. If he works regularly, you know, regular tour, he will be very good. Uh, I think people and also company, office, they love Mike Elgin. Yeah. Mike Elgin is, is uh, under, he's under contract with New Japan, so you consider Mike Elgin a New Japan wrestler. I don't think he works anywhere else anymore. You know, does he work in America between tours? Uh, I think very little. I can't recall. Very little, yeah. yeah if at yeah, all. Very, I yeah. think he does some independent shows and things, but uh, mm-hmm. he doesn't do like a ton. So Mike Elgin, I I consider Mike Elgin New Japan wrestler. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, yeah, uh, before I forget, New Japan, Jado Gedo, you know, producers, they study pro wrestling gorilla a lot. They watch their show. Oh, okay. Oh, tons of new talent, you know, tons, tons of them, because I have a hard time memorizing and remembering their names, you know, but you watch clips, you know, you can watch actual, you know, the YouTube video without knowing their names, but when you watch them, oh my gosh, right? Yeah, I think so, it'll be curious to see what they what they think of Chuck Taylor, because obviously he's been successful with Pro Wrestling Gorilla and has kind of built his name for himself lately, so we'll see what mm-hmm, happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, right now that uh, guys from all over states or guys from Australia and from or even from Europe, some of these young, talented wrestlers are flying themselves over to L.A. Yeah. so they can work Pro Wrestling Gorilla and be seen. You know, being seen by you know important people or make connections. 
So pro wrestling gorilla is some place that we really have to pay attention to now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's, uh, let's let's talk about it. There's two more things I want to touch on. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before we before we wrap up, and I guess uh, let's do um, let's talk about one of my favorite guys uh, who's going to get an award uh, in Japan. Dick Byer, the intelligence sensational destroyer, who is <laughs> one of the one of yeah. the key fee- fee- uh, people not only in wrestling history but but Japanese wrestling history oh, as very well. Important. Tell me, tell me before we get into Dick's background. Tell me about the award. It's called. Uh... Uh, there's a Japanese name for it, but uh, it's in English. I wrote it down. It's called the Order of the Rising Sun Gold and Silver Rays. And it's an award given to people who did uh, community work and also did, uh, um, they say, um, culture and industrial and uh, city building and industry building and also tied to community and such and it's uh, you have to have long history with community and he was chosen i think because of the history see he dick Bayer worked in japan for 30 years 1963 to from from 1963 to 1993 30 years. Isn't that interesting? 30 years in Japan he worked. Do you know what type of people have gotten this award in the past? Um, oh, guys, uh, politician, artists, uh, they award people every year, though. So this is and kind of a big deal. One. This is kind of a big deal. It's pretty. Yeah, because the Japanese government giving him award. Yeah. And he's yeah. being brought in, and uh, he's, you have tuxedo and bow tie, and you have you res- actually received the medal. This is not hokey thing. It's pretty real. Yeah. So what? Tell just briefly uh, give people some background on uh, Dick Byer, particularly Dick Byer. Ricky Dozan. Right. He, the reason I said he had history is that the first tour was 1963. He was opponent of Ricky Dozen, father of Japanese wrestling. They had three single matches, all title matches. One title match, you know, Ricky Dozen's international title, but two title match, WWA world title match. You know, Los Angeles, you know, world title. At the, um, how famous, how popular, how famous Dick Bayer was. I have an example data here. See, there's a there's a um, um, thing that you know you don't have TV ratings anymore. You have viewership now, right? The ratings and mm-hmm. ratings and share are the you know for the time you have so many channels on television, you know. That now you have so many channels that you can have ratings like the Raw and SmackDown. They they don't even have ratings anymore. Viewership, right? Five million people, four million people, stuff like that. But when there was a ratings, see, there's a data in Japan that the last 50 years, last 50 years, that uh, every channel, every program that uh, Top 50 programs with highest ratings. 
two wrestling matches are in it. See, those you know top fifty rating television ratings. You have Olympics or World Cup soccer, or you have famous drama, or or even Beatles concert or something like that. And then there are two wrestling matches among top fifty uh, ratings in Japanese television history. Two matches that are both destroyer match. Ricky Dozen against against the Destroyer match from 1963, May May 24th, 1963, they had 64% ratings. 64%. And one more match is also Destroyer from 1965. It was a WWE World Title match, Destroyer against Toyonobori. That had 51.2% ratings. It still ranks among top 50 ever in Japanese television history. It still stands out. I mean, today, 2000. I mean, 2017. It stands out. See this 1963 match against Rick Dozen, 1965 match against Toyonobori. Those two wrestling matches on television, the rating still have. I mean, they have that, it's listed in a real document. And he came in as a heel, but then eventually he was so respected, he became yes, a baby. Yes, and also he, see, like I said, Ricky Dozen against Destroyer. And the interesting thing was, though, Dick Bayer Destroyer was the last opponent of Ricky Dozen before he died. That's very important. And also, Ricky Dozen, Destroyer, they are both real sports hero of black and white TV era. Black and white TV. Then, everybody bought, you know, color television, what, 68, 69, 1970-ish? Do you remember the day your parents bought your first color television? Well, I, I, I was, I was, uh, black and white was still around, but uh, I was, I was born right around that era, so I've always, right, been, okay, right. but there were so many, but, but it wasn't uncommon to have black and white TVs, and it wasn't uncommon. In your living room or your yeah. bathroom television, yeah. Right, or, yeah. Uh, or it wasn't uncommon to see, you know, a lot of black and white shows still on television. Right, still. You know. Yeah, so, some of the, you know, Dick Van Dyke or I Love Lucy, they're always yeah. going to be black and white, yeah. Right. Anyways, so Dick Bayer, the Destroyer, was the first famous, not the first um, masked man, because they had the Zebra Kid or Mr. Atomic or people like that, but the Destroyer with white mask was very first famous superstar masked guy in Japan. They had a top program against Ricky Dozen, and three single matches, the result was one win by Ricky Dozen and two draws. And three out of and two out of three matches, Ricky Dozen won by count out. So Ricky Dozen, the father of professional I mean wrestling in Japan, he did not pin or have submission on Dick Bayer. That's strong. Count out was the way he won. So Destroyer was protected, huh? But that's another story. And when television became color and Destroyer became color, 
and he became a big rival of Giant Baba, late 60s into 70s. And he came in um, very second tour of All Japan Pro Wrestling, okay, 1973. And he had a single match against Giant Baba, and he announced it on television that if he, if he lost this single, very important single match, he will join Baba. He will join All Japan Pro Wrestling. So I'm very first American who actually joined Japanese company and fought from Japanese side. So now it's tag team of Jan Baba and Destroyer and say rookie Jumbo Tsuro or something going against people like Abdul the Butcher, King Curtis, Mark Lewin, you know, people like that. And he also had Destroyer also had a program against Mill Maskers in Japan. Very famous. And then 1974 on, he actually brought his entire family, two sons, one daughter, wife. The entire family lived in Japan for seven years. 74, 75, 6, 7, 8. See, he was here until 79. And he actually lived in Tokyo for seven years and worked every single show with Low Japan with Japanese side and uh, um, he was in uh, those you know late night variety show talk show uh, game show he was like a very huge American celebrity with mask on See, wearing mask is like a, another thing it's very unique about wrestling you know you're supposed to be parts unknown right Everybody knows he's Dick Bayer, but he kept that mask forever. So he grew old inside that mask. It's much like your Batman and Superman. The expect, you know, expectation is that, that the superhero don't grow old, right? Destroyer always looks like Destroyer. Right. And he works, yeah. He, um, he was always Destroyer. And also, you have to have signature move. You know, it was a figure for leg lock. All the kids at school emulated, and I even did that too. You put on figure for leg lock to your friends at school. <laughs> you know, did you play wrestling at your grade school a little bit? No, not a grade school, but after school, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, like you're, when you're fifth grade, you know, you pretend to be a wrestler or something with the other kids and never. And, you know, what do you do? Japanese kid always did um, figure four leg lock, <laughs> you know, and like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was so popular. He was so popular. He's at Cauliflower Alley every year. He still looks great. He's still very sharp. He plays cribbage with everybody. Oh. Uh, yeah. You know, it's cool. I've got a uh, Destroyer autograph bobblehead here and a mask. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have his mask too. Yeah, T-shirt, yeah. yeah. And I think he was one of the very first, you know, rest, American wrestler who actually sold merchandise here. Destroyer T-shirt, fan mask you can wear, or a little, you know, not an action figure at the time, a little bit more premium thing, but the Destroyer dolls, you know. Uh, yeah, he's real famous, real popular.
and uh, he worked all the way to he went home uh, summer of 79 because their kids are graduating from high school they went high school here, I mean grade school junior high and high school here three destroyers son, uh, two sons and daughter they speak perfect Japanese I mean no accent whatsoever they speak perfect Japanese that made them popular too Interesting, huh? One last thing I wanted to cover before we uh, yeah. wrap it up here is uh, this week marks the 12th anniversary, 12 years since Eddie Guerrero has been gone. Oh, 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 yes. And, you know, Eddie was a star in Mexico. He was a star mm-hmm. in the United States. And mm-hmm. he was also a star in Japan. He was star with New Japan before he was star in America. Yes. Yeah. He was a black tiger. You know, under mask. The original Black Tiger was your Mark Rocco from England, who was original Tiger Mask Sayama's opponent. But uh, second, New Japan created second version of Black Tiger to be your opponent with Liger. You know, what? Uh, who's on the the mask has to be very good, huh? And Eddie Guerrero was that. See, Black Tiger had his run as Black Tiger. And then later on, he, be, you know, unmasked himself and became himself, Eddie Guerrero himself. And he was already, already good, talented, charismatic, real charming. And he was ready to go, you know, ready to be as big as he can. But uh, I think Japanese promoters and Japanese audience recognized how special he was before he was starting America. He, he had major run as Black Tiger here. Well, and he was kind of part of that second renaissance of junior heavyweights in Japan with with Chris Benoit as Wild Pegasus or Pegasus Kid and, uh, yeah. you know, obviously Liger. And, you know, there were just so many uh, really talented. Oh, God, at the time, yeah. 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 Or say people like Dean Malenko, the yep. Jado, Gedo, the Sasuke, Spell Dolphin, Great Sasuke, yeah. Or a little bit later on, Hayabusa yep. being brought back from Mexico. Yeah, so many, so many of them. And also, it was good to have new, you know, junior heavyweight division because you don't have to be necessarily that big to be heavy, you know, like heavyweight wrestlers have heavyweight division. But if you have junior heavyweight divisions, smaller wrestlers have their chance to bl- blossom, you know? So where do you think uh, Eddie fits in on, uh, on the top junior heavyweights of the top stars uh, to compete? How, do you th- where does, where, how, do, how well do you think he did in Japan? Um, back in the 90s, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was among, always among top three. Yeah, top two or three, Liger, uh, Black Tiger, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Benoit. Those three are the real top. Yeah. What do you think his most famous match in Japan is? Oh, there's so many. He he himself single-handedly uh, headlined Budokan show once. Black Tiger against that, it's slipping my mind, but... Uh, 
Black Tiger as a IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion defending his title as a main event at the Budokan show. Only that was a Junior Heavyweight show, though. None of the heavyweights worked that show. But still, it's very important and it's big deal to headline Budokan show, though. Don't you think? Yeah, no, I think it's a, that's a that's a really big uh, feather in his cap. Yeah. Yeah, so Black Tiger, Eddie Guerrero, you know, headlined Budokan show once or twice just on his own. And he was very hard on himself always that uh, I was told by himself that you are only as good as your last match. And I haven't had my best match yet. That was his attitude. His match is always good, perfect, always great. I mean, like... Good match, but he was always hard on himself. Like, you are only as good as your last match, and I haven't had my best match yet. He kept saying that. So your 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 next match should be that that much better. You know, I thought your match was great, and he said, "I did this wrong. I did this wrong. I was there wrong. This is oh God, I didn't notice it, right?" But. Uh, his definition of good match and the perfect match was way higher than your expectation or something. You know, he grew up in wrestling family and uh, he was told that he was always too small and other things, obstacle, everything he, you know, you know, overcame that he still was very hard on himself. Ah, it was just very interesting. He was like, but you're only as good as your last match. I haven't had my best match yet. Keep saying that. It was very interesting. You know, and at and that he was time, a loner. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, he, yeah. you know, didn't really have the uh, the projecting of the personality that we saw later in WWE and stuff. Right, so probably right, right. For right. for, for that stage that. in his career and for what was happening around the world, you know, uh, Japan at that time was probably the perfect fit for him for that time. Right, you didn't have to be Latino Heat. Yeah. You know, or have... just what he, what you did in the ring mattered. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah. So, so you've got a big week coming up. You've got Debbie Malenko. Yeah, yeah, I got to go soon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real quick, just to remind everybody what you're doing this week. Oh, um, Debbie Malenko's coming, and she's going to work Mariko Yoshida's retirement match and also have meet and greet and signing order after a talk show event at the Bona Kano's bar this coming Friday. And also she's got some um, magazine interviews lined up and I got a class to teach. All right. <laughs> you know? All right. Well, you get to you get to class, Professor Fumi. And no, Professor... I'm, no, I'm going SmackDown now. Oh, you're going to SmackDown now. All right, yeah, well, do the voiceover. You go uh, call yeah, SmackDown, you know. and we will uh, have a great week. We'll, we'll uh, debrief <laughs> when you get back, and we'll talk about that yeah. next week here on the show. So until next time. All right. Thank you very much. So long from Tokyo. <laughs>